This is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast. This is VP. We are a solutions-based podcast, diving into the world of contrarian investing and alternative finance. You can find us hosted on the No Nonsense Forex YouTube channel, nononsenseforex.com, and podcast players everywhere. Episode 115 is brought to us by Bybit. Crypto trading is probably going to be around for a very long time. I find it to be easier than Forex trading in the way the market trends. When it's bad, it tends to be very bad, and when it's good, it tends to be excellent. If you have even a half-decent algorithm, this is one of the places you're going to need to be for the next 10 years. And why not use an exchange that is not only big, but not getting attacked at every turn? On top of that, they got a great spot market. You can just buy all your crypto there, too. On top of that, i got a link for you down below in the description. Takes to the blog. Let's you know everything you need to know about Bybit and what my affiliate link does. Get signed up, get your cashback bonus, get your eligibility for all the cool stuff Bybit has coming down the pike for us because membership does have its rewards. It is the 10-Minute Contrarian Podcast, and uh, I'll open this episode up with a bit of a story. Uh, Back in 2008, during the global financial crisis, I was in Las Vegas, and I was working at a restaurant that was owned by a famous chef. Now, this was not the most lucrative restaurant I've ever worked at. That was the one before um, the global financial crisis (laughs) during the bubble when people were just throwing money around for no reason. Um, But it was no longer that time. And people all over the industry were freaking out uh, because tourism was definitely down. But because it was Las Vegas and because this was a famous chef that everybody knew and that, remember this is back in 2008 where the era of tv chefs were you know was just exploding that's where everybody wanted to be and that's where everybody wanted to eat what ended up happening is yeah numbers were down overall but they weren't down that much you know we kind of got saved compared to other restaurants because we did have that star power so, you know, I've said it before, Vegas was kind of the, the last ones into the muck and one of the first ones out of the muck. Well, once you go meta and kind of get in that ecosystem, our restaurant was really never got that deep into the muck to begin with, you know, which was nice. Unlike most of our peers and the people we knew in the industry, we weren't taking it in the shorts like they were. And therefore, we didn't have much to recover from. So even though it wasn't the best of times, and I still ended up with some of the most bottom feeder clientele during this time that I've ever had, like people who would you know, spend hundreds of dollars in an expensive restaurant and then say, sorry, it, it's you know it's the recession, I don't have enough money to tip, uh, you know, those types. Um, I'm still very grateful that I ended up there as opposed to somewhere else back in 2008. Because again, when you don't have a huge hole to recover from, that really helps your prosperity down the road. And this is where I see India right now. Is there a big recession coming? Yeah, probably. Uh, But all things considered, is India going to be one of those countries where it gets affected the least? Probably also. And with the upward trajectory, it's already on. If I can still manage to get some kind of dip here, because their economy's been on fire, for years, that I am probably going to start looking for opportunities here. Yeah, so let's break it down a bit. I mean, it, India's already been in the news a lot lately, especially because they just put a, a lunar rover on the moon, making them one of four countries to be on the moon. United States, China, and Russia have already been there. Uh, but you know, you wouldn't expect a country like India to do something like this, but th- these are some of the things they're doing now. And it's because they've really done a great job setting themselves up to become a major global player across the board. 
And let's go over some of the reasons why. So uh, their number one export to the world is the worst tech support of all time. Let's just get that out of the way. I'm kidding. That's no longer their biggest export. Uh, not sure if it ever was, but uh, that, that human capital is better used elsewhere now. Uh, we spoke a couple episodes ago how they are number two in oil production. Uh, now, they use most of that, uh, but they are also very close to the Persian Gulf. And uh, when it comes to oil coming out of the Persian Gulf and into Southeast Asia, and especially Eastern China, all roads go through India. You know, they have a monopoly on that passageway. Uh, to the point where China has been doing everything they can to try to bypass this passageway, uh, like by putting little roads and stuff like that through Pakistan. Uh, but it hasn't been super successful so far. You know, India, unlike China, gets along very well with the rest of Southeast Asia and with Australia. So if they ever need any other types of inputs, uh, whether it be food, you know, other minerals they don't have, you know, they have those passageways set up right there. India is also number two, right behind China, in pharmaceuticals. Um, China almost has a monopoly on pharmaceuticals. And if it wasn't for India, China would really wield a big club in terms of having most of the pharmaceuticals the world needs locked down. Uh, I'll go more into uh, to China and the overall strategies here um, in a moment. But at the very worst, India has enough, in, uh, as far as pharmaceuticals go, to keep themselves supplied and not have to worry about places like China. Uh, and in an episode we have not really needed to do just yet, or maybe we have, I just haven't done it yet, but India is also number one in nitrogen-based fertilizer. Now, there's different types of fertilizer that the world needs, nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, things like that. We'll get, we'll get deeper into that in a different episode. But as we've talked about, the upcoming food crisis. Uh, you, you cannot put a price on things like this. You know, so not only does this give them global clout, this also ensures that they themselves, uh, because they're now the most populous country in the world, won't have as many problems as other countries do and therefore won't need to rely on other countries, uh, giving them a level of sovereignty that's just unmatched in this part of the world. And let's not forget about that human capital. I remember seeing an article years ago talking about the guy who went in there and took India from 2G to 4G in terms of internet. I think the company was called Geo. He became one of the richest men in India and in the world because he was able to do this. And we all know, especially at this point, how crucial internet is and fast internet is and just how hamstrung most of us would be if we had to rely on 2G internet. You know, so now you take a country that has a lot of intellectual capital, and now you have given it the capability and the capacity to do what it's meant to do and to maximize its own potential. There's word now that they're trying to get that 4G into 6G. And if this endeavor does not end up microwaving the entire population, then look out. India just became an even bigger player. Now, as far as demographics, uh, which we do talk about on the show from time to time, uh, they're not great, but they're not terrible either, to where they're pretty terrible in most of the world. So just by default, you know, they're kind of winning by not losing there. And, you know, I hate to say this, but the government has done a pretty good job of keeping all of the capital from their own citizens trapped inside of that country. Indian traders ask me all the time on the Forex and the crypto side what they can do 
you know, to, to trade like the rest of the world does. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, I got nothing for you. That's your government. Uh, but in terms of what we're talking about here, that is a net positive as well. You know, you don't end up like a China or a Nigeria or an Argentina to where everybody's just trying to get their capital the hell out of there. You know, you're keeping it all at home. You know, these are all wildly positive things going forward for India. And they have become really the, the bell of the ball lately in terms of desire from other countries, in particular the BRICS. Now, this is probably going to be the most appropriate episode to really talk about the BRICS, but I have in the past, especially when I talk about the dollar, um, I don't fear the BRICS at all in terms of a threat to the United States dollar, but let's just talk about what a mess they are right now. Uh, So uh, BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. Um, Obviously, Russia and China are kind of at the top here because they are the two who want to control everything. And in an organization where everybody is supposed to have an equal say, I'm not sure how this is ever going to work or why anybody would be down for something like this, unless you were desperate. Uh, Now, some of the countries who want to join BRICS are desperate, and they will probably just cater to whatever Russia and China want to do, but nobody else of any significance is really down for this idea. You know, I, I think we've all known those people who are just sociopaths, who do everything in their own self-interest, uh, and that's fine. You know, We can keep our distance from them if we, if we want to, but we, we would certainly never go into business with people like this. And India, who already hates China, is like, uh, yeah, you know what? I, I don't really need any of you guys. We're already getting our oil from Russia. Uh, We have zero reason to get into bed with China. It's like, we're good. You know, Brazil's Brazil. I'm not even sure what they're doing here. All they really do is export food to China. They don't even really mess with India or Russia. Uh, South Africa is a total basket case. I don't know. I don't even know why they want them in bricks. Uh, And then who wants to come in? Saudi Arabia and Iran? Have fun with that. It's like, yeah, they got oil, but that's just a, such a, another mess you don't want on your hands. Those are like the, the two guys that always go to the bar every weekend and just get hammered and get in huge fights, like well into their 40s. And you, you want to start a business with those guys too? You know, so you have two sociopaths, two drunks who get in bar fights all the time. And, uh, oh, let's go ahead and bring in your junkie cousin, Argentina. Let's let's add them to the mix. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? Do we really think these people are all going to get along and share one major currency just so they can shut out the United States? Like that common bond is going to be strong enough for all of these people to somehow find a way to get along. Well, India doesn't believe so, and India is actually tilting more towards the United States as this whole thing plays out. Which, simply having that option, they're like, yeah, you know what, we don't really need need the United States, but if we were going to tilt anywhere, we would tilt that way. To me, just gives this country further strength down the road. Options are good. I mean, India's got them. Now, into the solutions portion of the podcast. Uh, Unfortunately, this is not a big secret. India has two major stock exchanges. They have the Bombay Stock Exchange, which, yes, it's still called the Bombay Stock Exchange. And then the Nifty 50, the NSE... And both of them have been on absolute fire lately. Again, I would wait for an economic downturn and see, you know, because I think everybody's going to get affected by this. If India somehow does not get affected by this, you know, is the value still there? That's going to be for you to decide. 
but I'm looking to buy on dips here. And fortunately, there are plenty of ways you can invest in India. A lot of their companies are already uplisted in New York, London, Australia, um, but there are also ETFs everywhere. I will put a link down below in the description guiding you to the ETFs that you can already purchase in the North American market. There are lots. And at this point, I can't sit here and disseminate between the eight or 10 options that are available. I would need to look over them when it's actually time to start investing in them. And I don't know when that's going to be. But the whole point of this episode was to, in my opinion, put India on your radar because it is certainly on mine. And when we're talking about investments and when we're talking about places that have a really bright future for the next 10 to 20 years, you know, not just what you invest in, but where you invest does matter. And I said a long time ago in my very first USD video that the balance of power is shifting east. Now, unfortunately, it's shifting into countries that have a hard time getting themselves right. So there's that added risk there. But to me, India is not one of those countries anymore. Am I bullish on the future of the United States and places like Mexico? Absolutely. But I'm quite bullish on India too. And I'm just looking for a window, some type of buying opportunity where I can get my money in. And you may choose to play this however you like, but all I'm saying is keep this country on your radar because this sleeping giant is finally awake and it's about to get up and do some real damage. Now, a lot of the financial world already knows about India, but your average normie does not. And they will probably still see investments like this as crazy. But even with all the progress that India has already made and as well as their markets are doing, when it comes to the annals of history, and all we're trying to do is be historically correct here, I still think it's quite early.